Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. We're recording. It got chilly out there, didn't it? I'm, I'm starting with the weather report today. <laughs> it's <laughs> nice where I am. I was out it, there. It's nice in the sun. Yeah, it looks nice, but then I stepped out. I'm like, mm, not quite there yet. Not quite there, but it's all right. The length of the grass in my lung would argue with you. In a... <laughs> wow. Oh, see, I have no lawn because we just like did a lot of work mm-hmm. in the last year. So we just have a big mound of dirt in the backyard, which is you can't really look out the window and know from the dirt what's going on. I, I look out the window and just feel guilty that I haven't done my first mow of the year yet. No guilt. No guilt. Yeah, little guilt. It's like a butterfly garden. It's better for the environment anyways. I might do that. Might do that. So, so that was Bill Sutton, top of the podcast. Hey, Bill. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And also with us today is Joe Shaw. Hi, Joe. Hi, Annette. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. I don't like the mo either, by the way. Um, all right. Well, it's not my favorite task. Have to pave your lawn. <laughs> Make it a big like hockey court. You know what? I don't understand. I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but uh-huh. why can't they? Why can't they come up with a form of grass that grows to a certain height and stops? I think that's called astroturf, isn't it? You know, we have scientists. There's scientists out there. We could get them to work on that. I, I, you yeah, know, but then you'd have to have crumb rubber in your yard, and we don't even want to get into nah, that. No, I don't want that. <laughs> that or just let, a, let us use flamethrowers, Joe. Yeah, that's okay. another idea. Yeah, right. I could just see him just like, yeah, like hosing the like that. So I'm Annette Hankel, and I'm the Arts and Living Editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us today is the lovely Michelle Trowering. Um, are, what, what are you these days? Are you... um? associate editor i think i'm technically features editor i wasn't sure technically yeah hi michelle hi annette i'm michelle trowering and i'm apparently the features editor of the express <laughs> group. I don't know. let me see your card prove it yeah. i don't have a business card that's uh, tragic so we also have a very special guest today joining us and that is Jeannie edgerton warburton did i say that right Jeannie? said it perfectly oh my gosh i can't believe it. i was like that has ever gotten it, it correct the first time around. <laughs> so Jeannie is Jeannie is a water mill resident and she's with us today because of a, a wonderful story that Michelle had in the 420 edition of the Express newspapers. And Jeannie is raising a son who has a very, very unusual disorder. And Jeannie, I wondered if you could talk about Roland, your 10-year-old son, and the issue that he has and how incredibly rare it is, because that really struck me when I looked at Michelle's story. I'm happy to talk a bit about it. Um, Roland is in our blended family of five children, and he's our youngest. He's 10 years old now. And he was born um, November 15, 2012, And at that point, we didn't realize that he had this rare neurodevelopmental disorder, which is called ADMP syndrome. We did not discover it until 2016, but it is a neurodevelopmental disorder that affects his brain, other functions of of his body, um, 
for Roland in particular, he had issues with um, his vision, with his sleep, with his thyroid function, with his tonsils, um, with his adenoids. Um, you know, it's an autistic related syndrome. Uh, when he was diagnosed, he was one in 54 human beings in the world diagnosed with this um, autistic related syndrome. And it was extremely hard for my husband and I to kind of uh, wrap our mind around the fact that uh, Roland had this syndrome because honestly, we did genetic testing in utero and everything came back negative um, on the micro deletion testing, which cost us $13,000, believe it or not. And um, when we had him retested, uh, we weren't expecting to find out that he would have this syndrome. So it was honestly extremely heart-wrenching. They weren't testing for it, correct, when, before he was born? They, it turned out to be added to the panel the year that he was born, which mm. was 2012. So it he went undiagnosed um, until 2016, and it was really this moment when I was talking to his endocrinologist at Well Cornell, um, where I just was crying to her. And as I said to Michelle in an interview, um, I, I just said there have been so many things that have happened with him that have just not felt right as his mom. And there's something innately different about him. And I'm scared and, and we, we need some answers. And I just think, you know, maybe the stars were aligned that day, but she said, I think you should talk to Dr. Cunniff, who's the chief geneticist at Wild Cornell um, and his assistant and see if you can book in to do some genetic testing. And he happened to have been on his lunch break. And so Jamie, my husband, who's my husband and Roland and I waited and, um, he came back, sat with us, and we did the testing then, and we found out the results about three months later. How, hmm. how old was Roland then? Um, what was he? Four years old. So, so the one thing I was curious. So, you said that he was diagnosed the the diagnosis and the the official term of it. Let me see if I get this right: is activity dependent neuroprotective protein (ADNP). Correct. What that stands for? Uh -huh. It's a gene mutation, I guess, and and he's one of 54 people diagnosed with it. Is that because the testing was fairly new or, you know, has there been more cases of it that have come out um, since the time that Roland was diagnosed? So uh, we have now worldwide about close to 500 people diagnosed with ADMP syndrome and it's diagnosed through genetic testing. But oddly enough, we have a biomarker for the syndrome that was discovered by the head of the ADMP Kids Research Foundation. And that is that many children who have this syndrome develop a full set of teeth by the age of one years old. Whoa. And remember that it was really strange that when I brought Charlotte, his older sister, to the dentist, I brought Roland to the dentist and I said, have you ever seen this before with, you know, a baby at that point, I think he was 13 or 14 months old with a full set of teeth. And she said, absolutely not. I mean, that is so rare. And mm. it turns out that that's one of the phenotypes of ADMP syndrome. If 
But now where we are in April of 2023, we're nearing about 500 um, patients, but they seem to think that um, this non-hereditary de novo um, ADMP gene, gene mutation is thought to be the most common cause of non-hereditary autism. So if we could get more people to do the genetic testing, which is now nowhere near as close to $13,000. According to our team at Mount Sinai, many of the tests are covered by Medicaid um, or uh, don't cost as much and insurance will cover it. Um, Then we would find that more people have ADMP syndrome or other autistic related syndromes like Rett syndrome, Phelan McDermott syndrome, fragile X syndrome. There's a host of many other autistic related syndromes that they're studying. So it's very rare, but we don't know exactly how it may be more common when there's more testing done. Is that, is that the point? That's, that's absolutely the point that if more people went in for the testing that they may discover that their child has ADMP syndrome. Which certainly would would aid the research at that point. Absolutely, but it's fascinating, and you know we're talking about April Autism Awareness Month. Um, there's a stigmatism with genetic testing, and I, I find this frequently when I'm talking to um, moms and dads um, who have children that are newly diagnosed with autism or let's say have been diagnosed with um, ASD that they have not done the testing. And sometimes the responses will be, why would I wanna know? Mm. How can this help us with our child? I mean, it may be painful to find out that our child has you know, a autistic related syndrome. And I can understand that feeling and that point of view, but at the same point, I have this feeling of knowledge is power or information is power. And why wouldn't you want to know? Um, I mean, it kind of opens up, it's opened up the door for us for so many different reasons. For example, we have a Facebook support um, that is unbelievable. And parents will type, you know, they're having a hard time with their child's sleep or they're talking about certain milestones that their kids have met with the syndrome. And it feels like a really safe, place for parents to communicate their ups and downs, their sleepless nights, um, their challenges with their, you know, getting their child on an airplane, for example. Um, And it's a place where you can, you know, cry with other parents who have kids with the same syndrome. So I, I see it as a positive. And also, it's been extremely helpful, for example, if Roland has to go to the doctor, um, or you know, I told Michelle a story about how he tripped over a hula hoop um, and, you know, had 42 stitches in his chin and he wasn't even crying. One of the phenotypes of the syndrome is uh, he doesn't sense pain. So he doesn't know, like, if he falls, he won't be able to really say, ouch. He's, he's somewhat nonverbal, but he, he doesn't even flinch sometimes. Um, so if I didn't know that that was a phenotype of ADMP syndrome, it would be hard for me to explain to a plastic surgeon who has to stitch up his chin, you know, 
he has his special needs. He's autistic. He may get aggressive. We may have to handle him in a different way. We may have to be careful about what Novocaine you're using for this procedure, or don't be alarmed if he doesn't cry, things like that. I mean, just there's so many different things to think about when you're dealing with such kind of a rare disorder. Do you want to talk at all about um, about Roland's characteristics and some of the things that are typical, not only of him, but other children that have ADNP and maybe some of the signs that got you to think, okay, this is, there's something else going on here. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I think the first thing that looked, that stood out to us after I gave birth to Roland was that he has beautiful blue eyes. I mean, just sparkly, beautiful blue eyes, but he has a notch under um, the lid of one of his eyes that just looked kind of unusual. And his forehead seemed a bit um, kind of wider and taller than most other children. Um, he came out clenching his fists. I mean, just like small things that I noted as his mom that just did not kind of resonate with me with my other children or other kids that I have worked with in the past as a preschool teacher. Um, and also the fact that he had, a, he had a hard time kind of swallowing and breastfeeding. And I brought him into Manhattan within the first two weeks of his birth. And the um, gastro, it was actually was um gastroenterologist tried to do, um, sent us to get an endoscopy done. And the ENT who was doing the endoscopy said, this is really strange, but I've never seen a little baby with such narrow passageways. It was it was like almost impossible for him to do endoscopy and he was only a couple of weeks old. So those are types of like phenotypes with the syndrome that other parents have brought up to us. Um, you know, Roland, for example, has a few words, whereas some of the other kids with ADMP syndrome are quite verbal, but they may be in calipers to walk. So it is a wide range of different um, types of, syn of, of the syndrome because their gene mutation may be on a different kind of, a, I don't know really how to describe it, but there, it may not be, they may have a different um, exome sequencing to the, where their ADMP gene is. So there may be one child that's more verbal and another child that is having a hard time walking. Some, some of these children have issues with um, their heart. Roland does not, but he certainly had an issue with his endocrine system. I would say the common thread with most of the kids with the syndrome is terrible sleep disorder, um, maybe mastering skills and then losing them, which would be kind of the common thread to autism. So I, you know, it's a, it's a syndrome that a lot of parents um, whose kids have been diagnosed, they're able to say, yes, my child ticks that box, my child ticks that box. Um, but then some of the parents have kids that are much higher functioning than Roland. Jeannie, I want to ask you, um, I was really struck by, I mean, Michelle did her usual terrific job telling telling your story. The, the picture that we ran of you and Roland um, 
on the uh, the walkway over the dunes. Uh, there's so much joy in that photo. And I feel like um, we obviously are spending a lot of time talking about the disorder and and some of the some of the challenges that, that Roland has and that you have as his mom. Tell us about Roland, though. Tell us about Roland the kid. Um, you obviously share a lot of joy with him. You could just see that in the photograph that there are, there are times when the two of you really, really connect. You can see that. Um, so he, he's so bubbly. Um, he's has this infectious laugh that many typical kids may not have. I mean, he finds such joy in kind of simple pleasures. Um, I, I feel that, He's innately brilliant in his own way. He just doesn't have a means to communicate really what he's thinking. Um, you know, the laughter, his eye expression, there's so much that I can read from him and that his caregivers and special needs providers can, that, that he, it's almost like you can have this understanding about what he's thinking about or his next step, or he's able to communicate by, by um, pointing to his favorite cookies, or he has a kind of mischievous way about him, about you know trying to, trying to get certain things that he wants. I mean, he's very bright and very gifted, um, and that has been just such you know a positive thing. My favorite thing to do with him is swim. I love swimming, and I just can't wait for the pool to open up and for him to spend time swimming. He swims with a life preserver, but you know, he loves water, loves water play. And we have a salt water pool. And the second we say to him, whatever you do, don't drink the water. The first thing he does is start hysterically laughing and starts trying to drink the water. And we're like, no, no. So I mean, he knows how to get us. He has, he has our number. Um, and he, you know, he just, he's a joyous kid. I mean, he's, he's really happy. Um, I think what really frustrates him is just the, first of all, probably people talking about him around him. That's really hard. And we're, we're trying to really minimize that because his receptive language, I think, is, is quite good. Um, so that's really important. But just having him out and about, um, and that's something that we're really working on. He's, you know, he's had some maladaptive behavior, so it's been hard to, to take him out. But he's doing so much better in that arena. And just, you know, I call him now the king of Bridgehampton Commons because, you know, the amount of time he spends in, in King Cullen and Alter Beauty, maybe with his 12-year-old sister or, um, you know, walking into Kmart. He's just, you know, really happy um, to, to be out there. The other thing that was like a huge highlight for us was last summer and the summer before, um, some surfers got him up on a surfboard. Now we're not talking like major surfing, but he was sitting on the surfboard and a couple of times he was, they were, they were able to like hold him up on the surfboard and he was just it was such a joyous moment. He was just so, so happy. And I think what he brings to, to me as a mom and to others is just, just a deeper appreciation for, human mankind and life. I just, I, I feel so, I, so blessed for him. 
and he's he's discovered the joy of Easter egg hunting, according to Michelle's story, right? Absolutely. So, I mean, I could I could go and run and grab the eggs in the bag bag. It's going to become a daily thing. Um, it, it's it's fascinating. He's at a point right now. He's ten. He spent so much time at home that he doesn't want to be on our one acre of land anymore. He wants out. He wants out in the world. Um, he wants to be at a playground watching other kids. He wants to be integrated into a school setting. I, I just, today was like such an aha moment for me because his BCBA provider, it's her birthday. And we decided to have her birthday cake um, in the school setting. And he's only in school for about an hour, hour and a half a day for his related services. He's not quite yet with other kids. So he's there for, for push-ins for speech, OT, PT, et cetera. And we did the birthday celebration and the joy Look, I have to find it on. I have to find it on my um, on my phone. The joy that he had at that birthday celebration was just amazing. To see a kid just so happy, um, just for a birthday celebration, and to have his team with him was just unbelievable. And my goal, and I said this to to Team Roland, is that. Next year, when he turns 11, that we have a huge birthday party for him. And, you know, we haven't been able to do that. And it was a real kind of sad moment when he turned 10, double digits, that he hasn't had a, he hasn't made a friend yet. He's made a friend in many adults, but he, he needs to be with other kids. He needs other kids to understand that he's different and to start socializing with him. So that's really a goal that we're working on as a team. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Cordoraro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books, collections, libraries, individual titles. Very easy process. They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions. So it's probably helped that he has siblings. I just wonder, how have you seen the relationship with Roland and his siblings change and how they relate um, to, to one another? And I imagine that they're sort of his first friends, right? Well, it's interesting. He is, he is um, three half siblings. Um, his twins um, half, well, they're, my stepdaughter, so his twin half siblings, um, are graduating from college this year. And then he has a half sibling that is a sophomore in college. Um, my son, who's a so-, so he's very close to one of the twins because she comes out here frequently and she brings her dog with her. So I think he really likes the fact that she's out here with her dog and they spend a lot of time in the swing sets, et cetera. Then I think he loves being roughhoused by his you know, older brother who comes and will, you know, 
give them a tennis racket and, and try to make some, you know, contact with the racket and the ball and kind of throw them up in the air, things like that. Um, and his other um, twin uh, half sister, when she comes, he enjoys playing with her. His relationship with his biological sister, who's two years older than him, was a lot better when they were younger. But the past couple of years have been harder because he's been more aggressive in terms of kind of um, pinching or swiping or pulling hair. So that that's been hard. And that's kind of been hard for her when she has friends on playdates, et cetera. But a wonderful story just happened that I shared with Michelle after, after the article that really resonated with me. And, and I may have to cry about this, honestly, because um, the relationship has been a bit strained between him and him and his older sister, Charlotte, just because of, you know, the, the maladaptive behaviors. Um, so for example, like we can't um, have them eat at, in the kitchen at the same time. He, he get, has kind of like sensory overload if there are too many people in the kitchen. And so it, it she always feels like everything has to be, you know, on Roland's schedule. And that's got to be hard for a sibling, you know, to feel like she can't come into the kitchen and just go into the fridge or she has to clear out with her friends out of the playroom where her guinea pigs live, which is his, you know, um, semi-classroom, et cetera. But she takes it all in. And this story is going to explain why. We were just recently on a vacation, my husband and myself, just with her for a couple of days away. And right before we left, we were at a restaurant and we were asking the waitress what she was doing in the winter because it's a club and they were closing down. And she said, I can't leave the island um, because I have a son who's 15 who's autistic and I can't get another job um, and, and leave the island because I have to care for him. I'm a single parent. And I said to her, is he high functioning? Can he speak? You know, tell us about him. And she explained that um, she loves to go to church, but he can't go to church because it's the choir's too loud and there's too much sensory overload, et cetera. And she said, if I could just bring him out in public more. And I said, have you tried headsets? Have you tried earphones? I said, you know, we've tried that with Roland and he doesn't like anything, you know, over his ears. In fact, he, he'll put his fingers over his ears for sensory overload. But I said, many kids on the spectrum really like noise canceling headsets. And she said, well, we don't have those in Antigua. This is the island that we were at. Um, and I said, well, I'm going to try every, make every effort to try to get you some sort of headphones um, in order for him to, to try to see if, if he can go out in the world. And that may help. And on our way out to the airport, my daughter said, we can't leave. We can't leave. That boy needs my headphones. And she said, daddy, mom, can I give him my headphones? And I have an adapter. And we said, my husband said, you know, I don't think, I, I, you know, I don't think we have time. We may miss her a flight. And I said, we're not going to miss her a flight. We're not going to miss her a flight. This little boy needs those headphones and Charlotte wants to give them to him. So I ran out with the headphones and the adapter and I ran back and I gave them to this mom for her son. So clearly Charlotte understands the world of autism. And it was such a like a hot moment that she may have a hard time relating to Roland per se as her biological brother, but she gets it. 
and she gets that mom's struggle. So, I mean, just so much in that moment to me shows such gratitude and compassion and such a meaningful and deep understanding for a 12 year old to have about her brother and other kids that may have struggles like he does. And it demonstrates that 12 year olds can, can understand that. And, and that that's part of the challenge. I think you, you, you say, you know, that it's about teaching other people that, that people, people are differently abled and, and they have different experiences and, and that's okay. And and it just shows that, that a 12 year old gets that. They just, you just have to work with them to understand that. Hi, this is Michael Wright. I'm a reporter for the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and 27East.com. I cover East Hampton Town and follow important stories about the environment, including the coming South Fork Wind Farm, its impact on the fishing industry, and other water quality issues. We follow East Hampton Town and village government, and I'm asking the tough questions and providing you with important answers. My colleagues and I in the editorial department work hard as watchdogs for this community but we can't do it without our subscribers. If you find the work we're doing valuable to you, please subscribe by visiting 27east.com forward slash subscribe. Thank you very much. Well, one of the stories in Michelle's story was about when you're at the Parish Art Museum and I guess Roland is making some noises and, you know, doing what he does. And an older couple actually asked, you know, why can't you control your son or something of that nature? You know, there's just such a learning curve for people that don't understand what you're going through and, and what Roland's going through too. Absolutely. And that, you know, that was a moment um, where I didn't know really how to handle this couple, but I had to stand up for my son. I mean, he had every, he has every right to be at the museum. I mean, it, it's not like he was at the library he loved the echo of the Parish Art Museum. They openly have accepted him out here in the Hamptons. And I wasn't going to let this couple look at me with disdain and make him feel, you know, badly for who he is. I mean, he has every right to be at that Parish Art Museum as anybody else in this world has the right to be there. So it was kind of like an empowering moment for me to be able to say to this couple, you know, my son has a neurological brain disorder. He's autistic. He doesn't have a voice and he's happy. And he's barking like a seal because he loves the echo at the parish art museum. And I think that they were mortified, honestly, I, you know, they apologized, but you know, it was such like a educational moment where I was, I was able just to maybe part some, you know, give them a tool to understand that not everybody is the same and, and maybe their grandson is a typical child and, and that would be considered misbehaving. But for Roland, that's just part of how he communicates. I mean, he was having so much joy at that moment being at the Parish Art Museum. So do you find that are like arts institutions um, actually having autistic accommodation days? I think Bay Street Theater has started doing performances for autistic audiences where they maybe provide headphones or they, they do everything with lower lights, lower sound. I'm just wondering if you're seeing adaptations here on the East End for things like museums and theaters that are welcoming kids that are on the spectrum. Absolutely. Bay Street is, is implementing it. Flying Point for Autism, Hudson's Helping Hands, Simi Museum. 
I mean, it's really, it's growing. I think if you, if you think about it, the CDC now in 2023, one in 36 children are diagnosed on the spectrum. How could you not? I mean, inclusion is cool. Um, and that I'm talking to, to the, you know, the Ross lower school last year, I spoke to the middle and upper school, but this year I'm speaking to the lower school, not just about Roland, honestly, just about um, autism or learning differences, or, you know, I may talk a bit about bullying. I may talk about um, how Ross school implements core values. It's all about just being a good citizen and educating your children to be nice to one another, to have gratitude and compassion, to have patience, to understand that things may not come as easy for one child as it may come for another child. I, I think a lot of that was lost in COVID as well. And I, I may be going on a bit of a tangent, but I, I think it kind of comes back full circle to, you know, mental health and, and awareness that, you know, even if you're autistic or if you're a typical child or neurodivergent child or neurotypical child, I mean, there are so many different, you know, names for, for all different kids. It doesn't really matter what box you fit into. It matters about acceptance and being nice and kind to one another. Hmm. Yeah, you meant, you know, it's it's Autism Awareness Month. And it strikes me that um, the incident that you had at the parish is an example of, of a lack of awareness. I think people, you know, I, I think that's a difficult moment for the couple that 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 wasn't aware um, of what they had in front of them. And, and so, I mean, it's a learning experience and those can be tough sometimes, but I think that's, what's great about, uh, using the month of April for autism awareness. It's about sort of approaching those situations and trying to, trying to address them before they happen by, by letting people know that, that, you know, these are the, this is how people with autism, um, experience the world and, and, you know, we need to give them room to do that. I I feel like, I feel like the word awareness is a big word, and it's 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 a big part of it is just about becoming more familiar with the people who have autism and and what what you're going to experience when you interact with them. I think it's intimidating for some people, frankly, that that don't know much about um, autism, um, and I think it's helpful to to sort of teach them and like i said that can be a difficult thing sometimes and your experience at the parish is an example of that absolutely i was trying to find a picture to show you and, and for you know all the listeners to hear about it but when and that happened years ago at the parish art museum but honestly that could you know that could happen again tomorrow we're still living in a society where people need to be educated and spoken to about people being different um, and years ago, Roland had on his car seat, um, it said Roland Edgerton Warburton, nonverbal autism spectrum disorder. And I remember ordering that and my husband even saying, well, why are we going to use that? Why, you know, why is he going to be riding around in our car wearing a car, you know, that on his car seat? I said, let's say we get in a horrible car accident. People need to know the paramedics need to know his name. He's nonverbal and he's autistic. And it made perfect sense to my husband. He was like, oh, amazing. I'm so glad. I hope you, you know, order a couple of those so we make sure that he's safe all the time. But you wouldn't think, you know, and that was maybe four or five years ago. I was trying to scroll through my phone to find the, you know, 
kind of picture, you know, that's right in your face. If you're opening up your car door, everybody's seeing that. But, you know, I decided when we found out that Roland had his diagnosis, what's there to hide? What, there's no shame. I gave birth to this little boy. We created him and we have a diagnosis and all we can do is move things forward, try to get him all the early intervention that he can receive, you know, try to get him speaking or communicating through a tablet or sign or prompted or, or, you know, he works with an unbelievable speech pathologist right now who's working wonders with him. I mean, th these are gifts. Um, and I just encourage so many parents to not shy away, but to take control, to be your child's advocate. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, and you need, do need a lot of support. But if you don't do it, your child's going to regress. Especially if your child's nonverbal, how can he or she advocate for themselves? So as a parent, you really have to kind of go to bat for your child. I imagine it almost becomes harder too as they grow up because they appear to be a child who is expected to know or do or act a certain way. And when they don't, it's probably even harder. You know, it's one thing for a small child, but a, a child who's maybe going into his teenage years, you know, with these, with these issues, um, I could see the questions and the looks and the, the, the uncertainty when you're out in public is probably going to continue to grow as he becomes a man. Right. And absolutely. And, and, you know, I would say, especially, you know, you do worry about when these, when kids go through puberty, because they're dealing with all these different emotions and hormones as well. And, you know, how do you handle those issues if you're nonverbal or, or you don't have the ability to, you know, talk about your feelings um, for, you know, higher functioning kids on the spectrum, it's really hard because many kids, and it's been in Autism Speaks, for example, many kids are being bullied that are on the spectrum and other typical kids who, who are bullying them may not know that, you know, the kid that they're bullying doesn't have the words to communicate, you know, don't shame me or put me down or maybe struggling in certain areas of executive functioning skills or having a hard time grasping all different concepts in math, may have ADD, may have ADHD. I mean, the spectrum is is not linear. Yeah, you had said during our interview that you described it as a wheel. Yes, exactly. And that like the spokes of the wheel were, you know, different kind of disorders. So some kids may have social differences. Some kids may have different interests, repetition behavior, sensory sensitivities, emotional regulation, perception, executive functioning disorder, and, you know, other realms could be ADD, ADHD. I mean, it, it it's so, it varies on such a spectrum. What are your hopes for Roland's future? And I know you talked to Michelle a little bit about whether he might be able to to speak more or or to sign or use use an iPad. And you said that he's shown some some progress. What are what are the reasonable expectations? Um, and what are your greatest hopes for for Roland's future? My greatest hope for Roland's future is that we can keep him home. You know, live at home forever, or when he's older, have him 
be higher functioning and, and be able to really integrate himself more into society. But to be able to have him have a different outlet to communicate. I mean, that's that's the number one thing, because I can tell that he's he's kind of trapped in his brain and he has so much to say. So it's not that I've given up on, you know, hoping that he can read or write or things like that. But the realistic expectations for me is, first of all, happiness. I mean, I want him to feel fulfilled and happy um, as any kid, you know, can, given his syndrome. But if he can find a different means to communicate, that would just be amazing. And I think that's going to happen, honestly. Uh, the other thing that we talked about in the interview is that my husband and I had been against um, Western medicine. And now that he's taking some uh, drugs that he really needs to help him sleep and to help him function, we're seeing huge improvement. And I just wish that we had considered that sooner because he's 10 and he really, the maladaptive behaviors are so much better when he's taking something that can help regulate them. And I, I just wish that we had not been ignorant about that. And I kind of beat myself up a bit about that. I wish that we had listened more to doctors in the past. And when they pointed out, like, there are some serious behaviors that are happening that could be helped if you were to consider having them take something. And now that we're doing that, um, to see the difference has been huge. So, you know, I would recommend to any parents who have kids that may have maladaptive behaviors who are really acting out that make it really hard to, to have them at home to consider that route because Roland is visibly calmer. And it was really an unbelievable moment when his psychiatrist pointed out to us, actually two psychiatrists pointed out to us, stop thinking about yourself. Think about how he must feel in that moment where he may be swiping something off the table because he doesn't want chicken salad for lunch again. You know what I mean? And he's telling you, you know, I don't want this right now. It may not be the best way to communicate to your parents. Like, I don't want to eat the chicken salad. But it, it's been really, really helpful to have him to kind of look at and feel how he may feel and and taking some medications. And, and that's been hard, too. Honestly, finding the right mix was a difficult journey for us. And it's still going to become a journey because, um things change in your body chemistry as it would for a typical person. Um, but that's a journey we're on, but I'm just happy that we're on that journey because it was really hard before considering that. So I was curious, have you had any um, success in introducing um, Roland to other children who may be on the spectrum, like a socialization thing or other, I don't know if, I mean, you are at least we're close to New York city. So have you had an opportunity to meet other kids with ADNP? I know there's very few that have been diagnosed, but it is New York and you're dealing with doctors who maybe introduce you to other families. I just wonder, you know, socially, is that a goal um, that you're able to start pursuing is getting him in a situation where he's around other children that may have similar um, issues, or is that not a good idea? Well, we, we actually had, it's a wonderful idea. And we actually had an ADMP um, conference uh, in California, not so long ago. 
Uh, I did not bring Roland because I was speaking at the conference and also flying with him is really difficult. That would have been a really long flight for him um, to sit on the airplane in a restraint, you know, meaning um, in an airplane seat, et cetera. Um, he, he has flown before, but not since COVID. Uh, a wonderful idea, but we just need as a foundation to start doing more family meetups, et cetera. He has had some play dates with kids out here who are, are on the spectrum. Um, it's more parallel play right now, which would be kind of that of a two to three year old developmentally. So he's obviously aware of having a, a peer over, but they may not be playing together. They may be on a swing set or he may be going down a slide or being next to a kid. I mean, he, he jumps for joy when he goes to the Southampton playground or the SAG Harbor playground. He loves watching other kids play. It's just that he doesn't have the tools yet. So that's something that his BCBA is working with him on is, is trying to kind of assimilate him with other kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what's going to be interesting for your journey is that not only as he progresses and and maybe the different therapies, be they medical or physical, help Roland, but also to see him, like I said, growing into becoming a teenager. You know, I'm. It's going to be a really interesting journey for you, I think, to see how he changes because of what's physically going on, and also maybe some of the therapeutic treatments that you're getting for him in the years ahead. Absolutely. And a couple of years ago, Charlotte had a pool party uh, for her birthday because her birthday is in August. And he was in the pool and, you know, he was with the lifeguard jumping in with his life preserver on. And, you know, he was part of the party, just not really participating with the other kids. But he was laughing and having a, a great time. So, you know, we're trying to integrate him more. Now that the behaviors are getting better, then it feels safer to us. But, you know, a while ago, it was not particularly safe to have him around other kids if he was going to be pinching or seeing, you know, hair and pulling hair, et cetera. And, and that's sometimes it's meaningful, but sometimes he just can't control himself. Do you think in a way that's just an effort on his part to to communicate because he doesn't have another way to communicate and go back to to what we were saying about you know finding ways to help him communicate through an iPad or, or through through signing or whatever as as he develops it, it, it through that frustration that he must feel that he's around these other kids or around these other people and he just can't express himself and and has no other way to to make himself noticed other than these maladaptive behaviors absolutely and you know I have to remind myself, of that all the time um, because it, you know, it is hard to be pinched up some days at the end of the day, or, you know, right. or it's hard if he's charging after somebody, you know, on the lawn, et cetera, to kind of intervene and redirect. But, you know, patience is huge. He's just trying to you be know? part of there. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you just have to remember that. And his sister, who's a couple of years older is really, really good with, with that. And, but she's grown up with him. Um, I think it is hard to have a sibling that's not typical, that is so um, different. And to one degree, I view it as such a blessing, but at the same point, I try to carve some time out for her. 
you know, and her and her friends and her interest in theater, because it's, it's, it's not easy. Home life is not easy. Sure. What I keep coming back to is that it seems to me that Roland has just an amazing uh, support system. And, uh, you know, I think that that has got to be a big part of the battle. And, and it's clear that that the quality of life that he has is the result of having that terrific support system around him. Um, you and, and your entire family, very clearly. And I have to say, we're really, really blessed to be out in the Hamptons where there is blue sky, not a lot of pollution like Manhattan, where it's, you know, he doesn't have to spend his day covering his ears, listening to sirens, living in a world of kind of chaos in New York City or a city. Here we can take a beach walk. He can feel sand between his toes. He can splash himself in water. He can play on that green grass that we were talking about earlier in the podcast. I mean, there's so much innate beauty in where we live that we can take advantage of with him. Um, and we're also really, really lucky that we have a team of, you know, Team Roland, where we have a BCBA, a behavior specialist and a special education teacher who's able to also educate me and my husband and caregivers um, who work with him as to what we're doing right, what we could work on. That's a whole other component of having a special needs child is, is not just the related services, but to have a BCBA actually do parent training and family training has been huge because for all, you know, I, I may not be doing things the right way. And I also have to learn how to kind of plan ignore or this is important or how to handle a certain situation, when to redirect, you know, that's been invaluable to me. And that that's part of education, honestly, is parents learning how to handle their kids with these special needs. I mean, he didn't come with a guidebook, you know, and I, I'd say all kids don't come with a guidebook, but a special needs child, wow, that's a complicated guidebook. Just uh, speaking of education, can you just clarify what BCBA stands for, uh, for people that don't know what that is? Well, um, a behavior analyst, somebody who works primarily on behaviors, um, and I can get you the exact, so it's, it's a ABA, an applied behavior analyst, and a BCBA is a board certified applied behavior analyst. Okay. So we're really lucky we have a board certified behavior analyst. And it's all about, she works with us about really um, how to deal with the attention seeking behaviors, how to deal with routines with him, how to deal with helping him feed himself, um, toilet training, you know, everything from, from the toilet training to routines to handling the maladaptive behaviors, um, you know, really kind of hand-holding and giving us a toolkit as to kind of how to handle things. Because honestly, at the end of the day, when she leaves at 4.30, we're alone. And obviously, he's not getting services on weekends. So we really have to know the ins and outs of, of Roland. And she has been really helpful, as has his whole team, providing us input and support. And support is so huge, honestly. In, in, in the life of having a child with a disability, 
what I talk to so many other parents about who have kids on the spectrum is utilize the support you can get. So many parents say, well, I can handle it on my own, or I don't want to talk about it, or it's too raw to share. My opinion is go for the support, join support groups, tell your story. So many other parents can glean off of your story or say, I'm having the same troubles that you're having. And if you get that support and you're talking about real intimate issues about, you know, your child taking their diaper off at night, things like that, which is a disaster. Trust me, if it's not under control, but being able to talk to other parents and say, that happened to me, that was frustrating. Have you tried this? Have you tried this special needs onesie? Have you tried putting the, the onesie over the pajamas when you have the diaper on? I mean, we're talking about just really um, simple things in life that are so complicated and hard to talk about. And that, that's why these, these I, I don't really like social media that much, but I'm so grateful for Facebook and for Instagram and for autism networks and for autism groups and Zoom groups that you can talk to other parents who are having the same problems at three o'clock in the morning where you know other parents with typical kids don't have those issues. We really appreciate you sharing. I mean, I think I think it's I think it's essential, you know, to for for parents of special needs kids to talk about this for for the awareness. And, uh, you know, it's very generous of you to to share so much about Roland and about your challenges. Uh, I just think I just really appreciate it. I think it's I think it's very generous of you. Well, I just you know, I'm so blessed that Michelle took the time to get to know me and really understand Roland and that Bill kept taking my phone calls that were repetitive and pushy because I, I feel so so strongly that the story gets out. And you know, with those numbers, I mean, to me that's staggering. One in 36 human beings diagnosed on the spectrum, that, that's unbelievable. That's something that just needs to be talked about, honestly. And, and now that, I'm so hyper aware of it. I'm able to be in the world and notice just even on an airplane, honestly, like that child may have issues or, and I noticed that, you know, I think I said this to Michelle years ago, I taught preschool in Manhattan um, for, for years. And in my classroom, I remember have, having kids that were probably on the spectrum. Back then it was taboo. Nobody wanted to talk about their child having an issue. And every time I said, well, would you consider a neuropsych evaluation? Well, why would we do that? You know, Johnny just has an issue with his speech or, you know, Henrietta, you know, is having a hard time threading beads and that could be occupational therapy and that's it. That's all they need. But you notice more kind of social issues or a child hiding under the table or sensory motor issues or you know a child not wanting to eat a specific snack things like that i mean the telltales have always been there it was just never spoken about i think that's absolutely true i feel like we're we're like in an age where everybody's talking about mental illness everybody's talking about homosexuality everybody's talking about transgender i mean we've opened up pandora's box why is it that autism isn't spoken about you know, to the same degree. I just find it fascinating. So 
you know, the smallest amount that I can do to help kind of educate other people and bring awareness to it, to me, is important. We'll get the message out for you. And the surf season's coming up, so maybe you'll get rolling back on a surfboard this summer. Yeah. I'm thinking. Absolutely. I, and I promise, I, I, yeah. I promise the four of you, if that happens, you will get a picture of oh, him yay. surfing. Woo-hoo. I look forward to that. Definitely. Thank you guys so much for, for your time. And honestly, for I just love seeing all of your expressions and, and how receptive you are to learning about our son, who honestly, I think is magical in his own way. And I'm so grateful to Express Group, Southampton Press, Sag Harbor Express. I mean, I just honestly, today is like a magnificent day. Thank you so much. This is the best hour spent in a very, very long time. Oh. That's great. That makes me feel really good. I'm glad to hear that. You're part of the community and we need to talk about that stuff. So, Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.